Good morning, my family. How y'all this morning? Was that not awesome worship so far? He has risen. He has risen. It's truly uh, an exciting morning. We are celebrating the reality that Jesus lives. And because he lives, we do as well. I was handed this morning from Robert uh, some statistics about our Fusion Weekend. Uh, If you had a chance of being a part of this weekend, thank you. We had an awesome 5K race here uh, yesterday. I heard great things throughout the city and things we were able to do. Um, I heard that there were approximately 3,100 people uh, who were able to participate in serving the Lord this weekend. About 2,000 people have signed up to serve in addition to this. Uh, We had 136 serving uh, projects created in 28 churches. Was it not an awesome weekend? So thank you very much. If you'll turn me in your Bibles to 1 Peter, I'm sorry, 1 Peter. We did a series on 1 Peter. I got it on the brain. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15. And we are going to, as Reggie said, start a new series called As Far As a Curse Is Found. And also in your bulletin, you'll see a place of notes that you can take. Uh, Let me encourage you, uh, uh, the uh, points aren't going to be on the screen this morning, so you're going to have to work a little bit harder. This will be better for you uh, to follow along with us this morning. Let me ask you all a question as we begin. When was the last time you saw... A 3D movie. How many people here have seen a 3D movie? Has everybody at least seen a 3D movie? Well, recently my family and I, we rented Shrek 3. And I don't know about you, but I love Shrek. I mean, maybe we got a lot in common. I don't know. But I love that guy. But I really love Donkey. Donkey. He makes me laugh. I love Donkey. But really, the only way to see a 3D movie is with 3D glasses. Because if you don't have these glasses on, really the whole picture will become blurry, will it not? Not only that, if you watch a 3D movie and you don't have the 3D glasses, it's not just blurry, but kind of those colors run together and it gives you a a headache. And you miss all of the cool effects. And most likely, if you are watching a 3D movie without 3D glasses, it won't keep your attention. Most 3D movies aren't that exciting. It really is just the effects that make it exciting. So you want to make sure you have these glasses on. This morning, as we begin this series entitled, As Far As the Curse is Found, and it's my prayer that we'll be in this series at least through Advent, really what we will be doing through this survey, is, uh, this sermon series, is like a survey of the Old Testament. Starting next week, we're going to go way back to the beginning. We're going to go back to Genesis and pick up God's story from the beginning, his story of rescuing sinners like us, and go all the way through up until the incredible story of Jesus coming. But what we got to realize is this, the whole story, the whole story from page one to the very end, from Genesis to Revelation, the whole story points to Jesus Jesus is the story. Jesus is the hero. It all points to him. It all makes sense to him. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is kind of like the 3D glasses. Listen, 
for us to understand the Bible, for us to understand the Bible story, for us to understand creation story, for us to even understand our own story, for us to understand the final chapter of the story, we must see it through the lenses of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Because the, without this, without the 3D glasses, if you will, of Jesus, the whole Bible story is just fuzzy. All the colors, they, they run together. It won't hold our attention. All the cool effects are missed. But once we see Jesus as the point and we put on these glasses in faith of a resurrected Christ, the whole fuzz goes away. And the whole story makes sense. So today, here's where we go. Today we begin our journey. Put on your seatbelts. Today we begin our journey. And we're going to take a journey looking at Christ uh, through the entire passage of Scripture. And we're going to do this. We're going to realize unbelievably that it is Jesus. It's this resurrected Savior that is the key that unlocks all of the passages along the way. And where we're going to begin this morning is so important. We begin with the answer. We could start off in Genesis and try to find our way to Jesus, but really we won't understand any of it until we begin with Jesus because it's all about him. So this morning would be like beginning a journey where you're told, now let me tell you the answer. Let me tell you the destination. Let me tell you the point. Basically, let's do this together. Let's all put on the glasses of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. So as we journey together, we can see the beauty of God's Son, the beauty of the Bible story, the beauty of our story in Christ Jesus. And we'll go through this way throughout the entire journey. We have two golden retrievers. They, too, were interested in these glasses. Uh, no, they did not wear them. They chewed a pair of them up. And these are high-priced glasses, are they not? But they didn't see that these glasses were very useful for the movie. They found it really more enjoyable as a chew toy, which they do for a lot of things. And the reality is, there's been a lot of dogs out there that have wanted to chew up the story of the resurrection. They don't see it really as something as that significant to see all of their story and all of God's story through. Instead, they see it as a chew toy, something they could chew up. But until by God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, that we understand, we understand the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we will not understand the Bible story. We will not understand the creation story. We won't even understand our own story. And yet, not only that, we won't understand the final story. So I'm going to pray. And here's what we're going to do this morning, a little different. Um, I usually read the scripture and then we preach through it. This morning, I'm going to give you the point and we're going to read the scripture that goes along with that point. We'll be, again, most of our time settled in 1 Corinthians 15. Unbelievable passage. But before we begin, will you please join me in prayer? Let's pray together. Father God, your word makes very plain that apart from the life and death and resurrection of your Son, our Savior, the story doesn't make sense. Unbelievably, as we go back to the beginning and we pick up the story of how you've rescued us, Father, there's, there's so much there that can confuse us. There's so many colors. 
There's so many things that kind of blur together. And yet, even your own son said the entire scriptures were written for him and about him. And if we don't put on, by your grace through faith, these glasses, the glasses of understanding what Jesus has done for us, everything in our lives will be fuzzy. So this is a matter of life and death. This is a matter of first importance. And God, I'm incapable of telling this story on my own. I really am. I'm just going to confuse it more. But God, you are pleased to speak through broken vessels. And you are pleased to come with power through your Holy Spirit, through the preaching of your word. So give us ears to hear. And give us eyes to see. God, give us minds to understand. And give us hearts that embrace. And give us feet that walk in the light of this truth. God, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't understand this story, give them the ability to see this morning. For those of us who have heard this story and have embraced this story, give us new perspective of seeing really what this story means, even into our own lives. And only you can do that, God, only you. So please come and show up, we pray, in Christ's powerful name, amen. The first point is this, if you want to follow along and write it down, it's this, the resurrection, the resurrection is the key to understanding the Bible story. Basically, we begin by saying this, you will not understand the Bible story. It'll always be fuzzy. You'll miss the whole thing unless you see it through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And let's look to God's word as we look at 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to look through verses 1 through 11 as we begin. Mindful that we're reading God's holy and errant word. And it says this, Paul is writing at the end of his letter here to the church in Corinth. And he says, Now, listen up, now, I would remind you, brothers and brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preach to you. Now this is so important. This is the gospel which you have received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. So right away we can see this is important because Paul is coming saying, this is the gospel that I've preached to you. What gospel is this? This is the gospel that you have believed and are standing on, that you are saved in. And he goes on to explain very clearly what that gospel is. Look at verse 3. For I delivered to you as first importance. Paul is saying this, there's a lot of things that we can focus on. But really as numero uno, as primary, as The foundation of first importance is this, what I also have received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Now, if you have a pen or a highlighter, you may want to circle or, or highlight where it says there, in accordance with scripture. Again, he says that Christ has died for our sins in accordance with scripture, that he was buried. That's what you do with dead people. You bury them. And that he was raised on the third day. And here we see this phrase again. In accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas. And then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of whom, when Paul was writing, are still alive. Though some have, have died. They've fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. 
Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me, or abnormally born. He's not talking about the fact that he was a premature baby, nor is he talking about the fact that he was a deformed baby. He's talking about his born-again experience. It was very abnormal. If you want to hear more about his born-again experience, it's listed three times in the book of Acts, starting in Acts 9, where Jesus met him face-to-face. But he realizes in verse 9 and in chapter 15 here, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. And oh, did he persecute the church of God, even to the point of death. But in verse 10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and by his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, listen, listen to the pronouns here. It gets a little wordy, but it's so beautiful. Listen to the pronouns here, what Paul uses. Whether then it was I or they, the other apostles, so we preach and so you believed. Reading the Bible without understanding the resurrection of Christ is kind of like being a Chicago Cub baseball fan. It's true. Because there is so much failure and so little hope. I mean, they lost in three games. They got swept yet again. And every time they make the playoffs, everybody wants to say, maybe this is the year that the curse will be reversed. Maybe this is our year. And it seems like if you have the curse of following the Cubs, which is almost as bad as a curse of following the Red Sox, but it's another story. Sorry. It's baseball season. It's October. This is what's got to be a part of this. But listen, every one of their heroes fail. Their most recent hero that they spent the biggest money on made the last out. And all year long, they're going to have to remember that their hero failed. And once again, they got to say, but wait until next year. I don't know what's wrong with them, but there really does seem to be a curse in Chicago. You remember back in 2003, they were five outs away from going to the World Series. And now an infamous man by the name of Steve Barton, Bartman, a poor Cubbies fan, who reached out to a foul ball to catch a souvenir. And in doing so, he took away a sure catch, apparently, from Moises Alou. They were five outs away from the World Series and everyone wants to scream, the curse continues. What will reverse their curse? What will secure their hopes? You see, there's a curse that we pick up in the Bible. We pick up very early that we, we being men and women, rebelling against God, have brought on ourselves. And what will reverse this curse? What will cause us to say, we don't have to wait, maybe next year. All these promises of God, can some of them come true? It just seems like there's so many of them, and how come I'm not getting any of them? And if we don't see the resurrection, if we don't see the truth of what God's Son has done on the cross, and what the Spirit of God has done through the empty tomb, it's, it's missing the whole Bible. It's, it's like seeing it as Cubs fans. The curse is still there, and we are without hope. Do you know that the Bible has some 7,500 promises? 7,500 promises in the Bible. 
And I don't know about your life, but in my life, most of the time I'll say, I will negotiate 7,495. Just give me five that I can rest on. Just give me a couple of ones that are really, really secure. How come they seem so elusive? How come God can talk so dogmatically about he's going to never leave me nor forsake me, about if I follow him, I'm going to have life and life abundantly? How come some of these 7,500 promises seem stale or empty? And how come it feels like when I read the Bible sometimes, I feel like it's saying to me, maybe next year. See, it's, it's the joy of Jesus. It's the reality of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Turn with me just a couple pages to 2 Corinthians 1, verses 19 and 20. And Paul again picks up this and he says this. This is unbelievable. This is unbelievable because, listen, all these promises, all 7,500 of them. In verse 9 in 2 Corinthians 1, I'm sorry, verse 19 says this. For the Son of God... Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim among you, um, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. Listen to verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter amen to the glory of God. You see, it's all the promises, all the promises of God, all 7,500 are going to find their yes in Jesus Christ. That is why Paul says, this is the first importance. This is the gospel. And I know what I love is so beautiful about this. It says this, this is according to God's plan. Look again through verses 1 through 4. Twice it says this. And this is not a new story. Sometimes we hear this story and we think that God acted one way in the Old Testament, another way in the New Testament. That this is the plan B or plan C or D or E or wherever all the plans seem to fail. But this is not what God's word says. This is unbelievable. He says this, according to scripture, Christ has died. According to scripture, Christ has died for your sins. According to scripture, Christ was resurrected. He's pointing the story of Christ back through the entire story. This is not an appendix. This is a story. This is the hope. This is what this was all about ever since the beginning. It all was about Jesus. It all was about God rescuing sinners like us through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. It's always been God's plan. Always. According to Scripture. What is this gospel? Makes it very clear. Listen, Jesus didn't come to live a moral life. Jesus didn't come to make us feel better or give us an example. Jesus came on a mission, an eternal mission decided between the Father and Son. He came on a mission to rescue sinners. And the only way He was going to rescue us is to become one of us. And not just become one of us like a man, fully man, and he was, and fully God, but to really become one of us, to become sin. Listen, the story is about God becoming your filth, your sin. Dealing not just with sins, but with sin itself. Christ died for your sins. Sins, believer. 
And he was raised from the dead according to scripture that God said that I was going to do this. And listen, if there is not an empty tomb, your sins and my sins were never paid for. We'll talk about that in a moment. But you got to understand the early church didn't see this. Even those who were reading scripture didn't see this. They weren't saying, oh, of course, Jesus is here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember born of a virgin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Emmanuel, God with us. Oh, of course, Isaiah 53. He's a suffering servant. Oh, he must be being crucified for my sins. They didn't get it. They really didn't. They kept on saying, when are you going to set up your kingdom here? And we're going to kick some Roman butt. And we're going to set up our rule here on earth. When are we going to do this? And they were really... Uh, uh, well-educated in God's word, and they miss the story until Jesus comes back with the power of the resurrected body and the power of the spirit. And he says to them, let me tell you the story. There's a great story. Turn with me to Luke 24. The gospel of Luke tells us this incredible story of uh, um, two walking on the road of Emmaus, tells us one name, uh, one is nameless, and they are bummed out to the max. They believe that Jesus was it. They believe that he was the hope of Israel. They believe that he was the one they wanted to follow and give their life to. And now they've witnessed the fact that he was crucified horrifically on a cross. And there's some rumors going around that some folks have seen him. They <laughs> still don't get it. They just don't get it. And they're just bummed. And all of a sudden, this stranger comes along, this guy who must put his life in a rock somewhere because he doesn't know what's going on. Have you, have you not seen these events? And Jesus is saying to them in verse 25 of Luke 24, and he said to them, oh, foolish ones of slow of heart to believe that all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory and oh, to be on that road and to hear Jesus's words? And he began where he began with Moses back in Genesis and all the prophets and he interpreted them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself and their hearts burned. As God gave them for the first time by grace the glasses to get it. It's all about Jesus. It's all about a cross. It's all about an empty tomb. It's all about rescue. I get it. And then he meets with even his own disciples, scared to death, locked away, fearing for their lives. In verse 44. He said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me, it was all about me. And the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then, and listen, we don't get it until he opens our eyes and he gives us the ability to see. And then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. And he said, and he said to them, thus it is written what the Christ should suffer. And on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, the promise of the Holy Spirit. We saw that in our study on Acts. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. You see, what we realize, unbelievably, that the whole story hinges on Jesus. Without these glasses, we don't understand the glasses of the resurrection. 
Since the good news of the gospel is according to Scripture, we must take the good news of the resurrection back through Scripture. It's very, very important. Listen, it's basically saying this. If you read the Old Testament, you read the whole Bible, without the reality, without the belief that Jesus really raised from the dead, you don't get the story. That's the story. The story is about God rescuing us. And that's why we start here with the story. This is the key to the rest of the story. This is the beginning and the end. This is why Paul would say it's of first importance. I got a call this week from one of our own, one of our college students, away at a very fine institution, and he's writing a paper. Um, He's writing a paper about why the God of the Old Testament in war, or how can the God of the Old Testament in war, be the same God as the God of the New Testament in love. It's until we see the entire story, not about a God of war and love, but see a God of rescue. The entire story being met in a God who would love sinners like us to rescue us until we see God himself as a warrior in Jesus. Until we see Jesus battling his and our enemies and our greatest enemy of sin and death. We miss the whole story. We see the resurrection. Here, It's so beautiful. Listen, the resurrection in the empty tomb is a declaration that this God has won the battle. The story makes sense. Well, not only is the resurrection the key to understand the whole story, it's a key to understand the creation story. We sang this morning, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let heaven and earth proclaim this great reality. we got to realize that even creation is cursed because of the fall. There is a curse. If you not... Sometimes wonder, what's wrong with this place? I mean, the tornadoes, the tsunamis... The hurricanes, the depravity. And we're going to see through the story that Jesus is both Lord of creation and Lord of recreation. And as you look back in your Bibles, let me encourage you even now, go back to Genesis 1 and and read even this week, Genesis 1 through 3. And in Genesis 1 and 2, we're going to see a God who created all things out of nothing. Unbelievable power. And we'll see a God who created us in his image. Unbelievable love. He created us in his image to relate with him and love him. We see that we were created under authority and given authority to multiply and subdue the earth. But we'll also see in Genesis 3 that we've rebelled. And we brought a curse on. There is a curse. It's not just the cubbies. It's a curse on all of creation. And unbelievably, if you turn me to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 verses 19 through 22 Paul writes this, For the creation itself, all of creation, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation itself was subjected to futility, not willingly because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole of creation has been groaning together and the pains of childbirth until now. Here's basically what this scripture is telling us this. Is we'll never understand creation until we see it through the goggles of the resurrection. We'll never understand the story of what God is doing. But we see the resurrected hope that even creation one day will be set free. It will be redeemed. And it's longing for that. Let's go to really what's more important for us this morning is this. The resurrection is the key to understanding your own story. 
Read with me in verses 12 through 19. Listen, listen, you got to understand. Let me say it again. The resurrection is the key to understanding your own story. You may not be a believer in Christ yet. I'm hoping today's the day. But no matter who you are, you have a story. And until you understand the resurrection story, your story's not making sense. Look at, look at what uh, uh, Paul says in verses 12 through 19. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are to be found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he, if he did not raise, if it is not true, that it is, let me try that again. We are found to be misrepresenting God, misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead was not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, listen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Listen, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You see, really, you need to understand through the resurrected hope, even your own life story. Paul will say this in Romans chapter 6. He will say that we have been crucified with Christ. In Romans 6, verses 5 through 11, he'll say that we have been resurrected in Christ. And he goes on to say, listen, if there's not a resurrection in an empty tomb, what I'm doing up here is really wasting your time and my time. As a matter of fact, it's worse. I'm deceiving you. But it's even more. If there's not an empty tomb, if this is just a story of morality, if it's just a story of love, if there's not a bloody cross and an empty tomb, then you and I are still in our sins. Listen, and that's, that's important. Because our penalty of our sins haven't been paid. And the power of sin has not been broken. And one day we're going to have to pay for them and be separated from God. And we really have no hope And listen, if there's not an empty tomb, those loved ones that have passed on, even our beloved Greg Davis most recently, they're gone. They're lost. If if Christianity is only for this life to make us feel good and be some kind of crutch that gets us through, we're pitiful. We're pitiful. Of all people, we are most to be pitied because we are wishing upon a star. I I just can't accept what some want to say that Jesus is a moral example for us because, listen, all of Christianity crumbles without a resurrection. All of Christianity crumbles without a resurrection. All of the Bible story crumbles without a resurrection. All of the creation story crumbles without a resurrection. And your story and my story crumbles too. But there's good news. There is a resurrection. Even this week, I had the privilege of sharing with a, a, a friend of mine uh, uh, who 
uh, is, is kind of getting this for the first time, been around Christianity, knows that God is pursuing him, uh, talked about a God whose spirit is present with him. I had the privilege of sitting down and talk to him and say, but let's talk about the cross and the resurrection. Let's talk about what Jesus really did to pay for our sins. And with tears in both of our eyes, it was understanding that, aha, I get it. I get my story. Jesus paid for all of my sins. They really are forgiven. Yes, the empty tomb. God really does love me and accept me. He'll never change his mind about me. There truly is hope in Christ. All of the story now makes sense. Do you know that story? Have you ever come to God in faith and put on the glasses of faith of resurrected Savior? Without it, nothing else will make sense. That's the good news of the gospel story. That's what Paul says. This is of first importance. We miss the whole thing until we get this. And lastly, the resurrection is the key to understand the final story. There's more to come. Look at verses 20 through 26. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Do I hear an amen? The first fruit of all those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death... And by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. We're going to talk about that in two weeks. But each in his own order, Christ being the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. You see, for us to understand the end, and it's a fuzzy story, we still see dimly, we don't see clearly, but we'll never get the story of what Jesus is going to do with the new heavens and new earth. What Jesus is going to do and come and reverse this curse completely until we understand through these glasses of what Christ has done. I want you to take right now and pinch your skin. You really do it. Pinch your skin. Don't pinch your neighbor's skin. Pinch your own. Feel, feel your body. It's not going to end in dust. The end of the story is not going to be dust. You know that it's coming back. Your body. I mean, I told Greg Davis that. I told it on his deathbed, knowing that he was going to go with Jesus, knowing his soul is there now, but said, Greg, this body's coming back. Because Jesus' body came back. He made sure that everybody knew. He made sure that 500 people saw him. He made sure he ate fish with his disciples. He made sure that Thomas grabbed his finger and brought it over and thrust it into his side. He made sure they knew that there was a bodily resurrection. And that little thing you pinch, it's coming back if you are a believer. And resurrected hope and glory. Yes, when we are absent from the body, we are present with the Lord. But this matters. Because Jesus is the first fruit. And what a first fruit does, it promises a harvest to come. These are the days of Elijah. And it's important for us to stand what Jesus has done and is doing and will do. Only as we put on the gospel story and understand. Only when we realize a resurrected Savior really is alive. Can we be alive? And this table's a reminder Listen, this table's reminder, the curse has been broken. And blessings now flow through the broken body of Jesus. The poured out blood is a reminder that the curse has been reversed. And the story makes sense. We have hope in Christ 
Jesus. That's a story. That's the reality. That's the hope of a resurrected Savior. Please pray with me. Father, we will never understand our own stories. We'll never understand your story, your gospel story, your Bible story, your creation story. Apart from you. Apart from a God who would love sinners like us so much that Jesus would come to rescue us, come to become our sin, come to be bruised and broken for our transgressions on a cross. But the story doesn't end there. It's that empty tomb that declares that you've accepted his sacrifice and that our sins truly have been forgiven. And we truly can have resurrected life and hope in Christ. Father, if there's anyone here this morning who is yet by faith to put on the glasses of faith and understanding what Jesus really has done, may today be the day where they acknowledge their sin and ask you to come into their lives by faith and embrace Christ as the resurrected Savior. And we know that if that's the case, you will give them new life. But for all of us, by your grace, who have put on these lenses, we still see dimly. Would you feed us afresh through this table so we'll understand who we are in Christ and what he has done for us. We pray all this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. As the elders come forward, will you take a few moments as we're about ready to go to this table declaring this reality. Prepare your hearts. Take a few moments before the Lord.